Good evening. All the conversation and fellowship sounded great. My name is Peter, uh, Peter Fargo, and Terry is out of town. He asked me to fill in tonight. And I just have two announcements. Uh, the Seder tickets, which is coming up real fast. We only have about 50 tickets left. And then the baptism certificates, we have them still in the back for those that you know need, need to pick them up. So with that being said, if I could get you to turn to John chapter 13. I've, I've read this chapter several times, studied it before, and if, if you would ask me, like, to give you, like, an overview of it, I, I would s simply say that Jesus loved them, he served them, and he taught them. That's the, the, the outline, right, that I would say. And this time as I was studying it, a, a few other details or a few other things came out, and I'd like to share those with you tonight. So even though you too might have read it a lot of different times, and it, it goes with the washing, where Jesus washes the feet, uh, my, my prayer is that we... Uh, read it afresh. So, so even now, Father, we do thank you for this time, and we thank you so much for your word. We know that it's true. We know that you are real, and even now, Father, we pray and ask for your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us individually like only you can. Father, we know that you can conform and mend and mold and do all types of things with your word. And we pray right now, we ask that that happens uh, tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in, in chapter 13, there's several verses, and we're not going to go over all of them. But I, but I would like to read a small section and before we get going, and that's in um, um, ch verse starting with verse 3. So chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, he was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garment, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Those are very familiar verses. You guys have heard them before. I, I want to look at this through the lens of how Jesus loves, how Jesus loves. So this event took place in Jerusalem. Jesus' public ministry had ended, and this is a few hours before Jesus will be arrested, falsely accused, brutally beaten, and then crucified. In the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17, we read this private conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Today, I just want to cover a small section of, of that whole uh, discourse. 
Jesus invested in his disciples for about three years. And now, at his last hours, he wants to teach them. He still wants to pour into them and encourage them before he's crucified. So, point number one, or key point number one, is that Jesus always loves. Always. Now, I cannot say the same thing. It's, it's sometimes it's hard to love the unlovable. When um, I was working someplace and my wife came and she brought, um, she brought some snacks for everybody there, like cakes and cookies and stuff, and my wife noticed there was tension between me and one of the supervisors. And my wife said to me after, I noticed there was tension between you two. And I said to my wife that she hates me. You know, she hates me. Um, I, was, I'm, I was her boss. She didn't like things I was doing, and, and she hated me, and she let it known. And she even was getting like a posse to go against me. Now, my wife says to me, have you prayed for her? This is what my wife asked me. And I, I said it would be easier for me to pray for a, a terrorist, okay? Um, now, that's an indictment against me, but I almost guarantee it's an indictment against other people here too. Jesus always loved. Now, get this, right? And I'm going to skip around a little, but I'm going to stay within this chapter. In verse 11, he knew who was going to betray him. He knew that. He knew who was going to betray him, and that was Judas. Also, in this same chapter, if you remember, when Peter asked, who, who, who's going to betray you? And he, he singled to, to John. And John asked Jesus, Jesus said, it's the one who I give this sop or this piece of bread. And Jesus handed Judas the piece of bread to single who was going to betray him. But if you look at that culture and that event, giving that piece of sop or that piece of bread to the first person was, a, was, was respect and honor. So Jesus loved him even though he was going to betray him. Jesus also knew that Peter was going to deny him, and, and Jesus loved him. Jesus knew, and we see this in the next chapter, where Jesus tells them, you're all going to scatter, and you're all going to leave me. But Jesus loved them to the end. No matter what, how people respond, we're, we are to love them, which is not always easy. What else did Jesus know? From verse 1, we see now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come and he should depart from the world to the Father. Previously, if you remember at the wedding feast, and everybody, most people know this story, when his, when his mom came to him and said, hey, we, we, they're out of wine at the wedding of, at Cana. And Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. He told her that. 
Well, now Jesus is saying, or it is saying here, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Jesus also knew from verse 1 that he would depart from this world. And he was going to depart in a very cruel way. He was going to be crucified. In verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that the Father and that he had come from God and that he was going to God. So we see that Jesus knew all things were in his hands. They were given to him in verse 3. Jesus knew where he came from. He came from God. And in verse 3, he knew where he was going. He was going to God. Contrast that with the disciples. They didn't even know that Jesus was going to be crucified in a few hours. If they would have known that, if they would have known that, the whole mood would have changed. Peter says at the end of the chapter, he asked the question, Lord, where are you going? Like everything that Jesus taught him for all those years, and even that night, Peter's focused on, where are you going? The next chapter, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. They were all confused at that moment when Jesus said that he was leaving. There's a a scripture in Matthew where where Jesus says, you error because you do not know the scripture and the power of God. I, I circle that verse in my Bible because I wonder how many times I miss it. I don't understand. I don't see what's going on because I error because I don't know the scripture and the power of God. In, this is these guys. Instead of the disciples being concerned with Jesus leaving, They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Now, you don't see it in this account right here, but in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said that one of you is going to betray me, and and woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Now, they began to ask like that, who would do such a thing? Who would do such a thing? In in another Gospel, it says, is it I? And it's even recorded that that, uh, Judas says that. Is it I? But shortly after, minutes after, they're saying, well, who would do such a thing? They started discussing who's the greatest. Could you imagine that? Who's the greatest? Jesus tells them in another gospel, not so among you. On the contrary, who, he who is great among you, let him be the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. I am among you as one who serves. Jesus also said, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And one of the most famous verses is in Mark, chapter, uh, the Gospel of Mark. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Jesus came to serve and to die. So, Jesus loved 
no matter what. He always loved. Point number two is that Jesus' love was in action, okay? It was action. In verse 4, and I read it in the beginning, he rose from supper, laid aside his garment, took a towel, and girded himself. Total humbleness. He rose from supper. He rose from his place of comfort. If you think of the big picture, he left the comfort of heaven. He laid aside his garments. He laid aside his own glory. He took a towel. He took a towel, the towel of a servant, which like he took the lowest place in the room. He girded himself with that towel, and he was ready and willing to work. In Philippians, in the second chapter, it says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in the appearance of a man, and here we go, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That speaks volumes to me about my own attitude, about what I should do of dying to self. If, if Christ could do that, how much more should I? Augustine was once asked, what's the first step to heaven? And his response was humility. And then the person goes, what's the second step? He responded, humility. But what's the third step? Humility. I mean, I don't know if they asked the fourth question, okay, but the three of them were there. In verse 5, it says, after that, Jesus poured water into a basin and washed the disciples' feet, and he wiped them with a towel, which he was girded. So here we see selfless service. We see the humbleness that he got up, because any one of them could have did it, but they didn't. He got up and he did it. Once again, he's going to die in a few hours. But he's not thinking of himself, he's thinking of them. It's love and action. He pours the water into a basin. And soon, we know from the other side of the cross that he was pouring out his blood also for us. Not that that water was symbolic, but he poured water into a basement, basin, and he also poured out his blood for us. Jesus washed their feet. Jesus also washed away our sins. And a, and a little bit of that conversation goes on with Peter, which we're not going to cover tonight. He wiped them with a towel, and soon, well, and, and he wiped them with a towel literally then. And in the, in the Bible, it promises in Revelation that soon he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Also, it says in Psalms that he catches our tears. So not one of your tears goes to waste. He knows every, he knows you intimately, and he catches all your tears in a bottle. One commentator wrote, though, it has been said when we attempt to wash other people's feet, we must pay particular attention to make sure that the water is not too hot. Now we're gonna, I'm going to get that, you know, I'm going to show them. Our hands, our own hands are clean. And then the last one is that we must be willing 
to let them wash our feet, which, is, which could be like a pride thing. Another key point that spoke to me in this passage in back in verse 1 is that he loved them to the end. In verse 1 again, now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. And we know that he loved them by serving. We just saw that in verses 4 and 5. And now we also see that he loved them by teaching them. In verse 12, he asked the question, so when he, had, when he had washed their feet, taken his garment, he sat down again and he said to them, he said to all of them, do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've done? Now, we know that they didn't know what he did because from verse 7, when, when he was having the conversation with Peter, verse 7, he tells Peter, what I'm doing now, you're not going to understand, but you will later. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am. If I then, your teacher and your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So the, the one the second point here, the first one is, do you know what I've done? And the answer is no. The second one is, I, I guess I could say the first one. What's the, what's the thing? You, we ought to do the same thing. What, and what's that? To serve other people. What's, and why? In verse 15 it says, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. He loved by giving them an example example of how to serve. Most assuredly in 13, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So I, I look at this and I'm saying, okay, in 14, he's telling me I ought to do the same thing. In 15, he's telling me, here's an example for you. And then in 17, he's saying, you're going to be blessed if you do what I, what I told you to do. Now I want to get, I'm going to say to the meat of it in some ways, skipping down to verse 33. Jesus here gives a higher standard, a higher standard. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So... In verse 33, he uses the term little children, which is a, a, ter a term of endearment. Like perhaps we would say or someone would say to you, um, daughter, son, you know, in, in a real loving way. And here he's saying little child. 
The, the question in, from 34, though, is a new commandment that you should love one another. I mean, why is it new? Now, you, you look up that word new, and it really means like fresh. It's a fresh commandment. We know from the Old Testament, in, um, in the Old Testament, it's written that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's from the Old Testament. Also from the Old Testament, it says you should love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus in Matthew confirms that when a, when a young lawyer comes up and asks him, like, what's the, what's the greatest commandment or, 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 or similar to that? And, and Jesus says, what does the law say? And he responds with both of these. Love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. Love my neighbor as myself. Jesus says on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. So how is it new? It's new by that little phrase that Jesus added on there. In verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the difference right there. That part two, second part. See, under the new commandment, Jesus is saying, I want you to love more. Love more than Love your neighbor as yourself. See, what, what, what if you're having a bad day? I don't feel like loving today. I, I, um, somewhere where I used to work, don't want to say the name of the place, same location where my wife came down. <laughs> there was a, a, a lot of people there that would be rude. And they would say to me, I have a strong personality. I have a strong personality. And really, after a while, I realized that was code for you are rude. That, that's what it's code for. See, Jesus is saying, he's not saying love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying love other people as I have loved you. And how is that? How did Jesus love us? He died for us. He took the blame for us, okay? When, when my wife and I do mar marriage counseling, I tell the male every time that she can do no wrong. And, and like, he just like looks at me, what do you mean she can't do any wrong? And my, my wife loves this when I, when, I, when I say this because she can't do any wrong. She can't do any wrong. Now, why do I say that? In Ephesians, it says, love your wife like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for the church, thank you, and he took the blame for the church. Well, if I'm going to love my wife at that standard, then I, I need to die for her, take the blame for her, if that's the standard that Christ led. Well, here I see... It's the same standard for everybody, for everybody. Love one another as I have loved you. That is mind-blowing to me. It's something that is 
very difficult to accomplish. Actually, I'll say it, it's impossible. We all are going to need the help of God, the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, filling us minute by minute to give us the ability to love the unlovable. But Jesus did. That's the example that he gave us. Think about it. Hours before he's being going to be brutally beaten and crucified, they're arguing who's going to be the greatest. How many times do I miss things that are happening because I'm, I'm arguing or I'm not paying attention or the, I'm erroring on the scripture and the power of God? How many times? On the cross, when Jesus is being crucified, what does he do? He's loving them still. He's still loving them. He's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And absolutely, they didn't know what they're doing. And so often, we don't know what we're doing. This is a sacrificial love. Love one another as I have loved you. In later years, after Jesus has died and rose again, we see that that night had a big impact on John and Peter and even eventually Paul. All of them repeat this term, love one another, at least 12 times in the New Testament. John says, if, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Paul says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves has fulfilled the law. John says again, if, anyone, if we love anyone, God abides in us. It's like that's the standard. His love has been perfected in us. And Peter writes, love one another fervently with a pure heart. What ends up being the result? In verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's the results. If you know this, if by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, I wish I was a, a better a witness at work or in my neighborhood or at different places that I've been throughout my life. But I love the promise here, okay? The promise here. It doesn't say by me knowing all the scripture. It doesn't say by me giving all kind of money. It doesn't say by me having a certain Bible. It doesn't say if I live in a certain location. It doesn't say if I have certain type of skin. It doesn't say any other standard except if I love one another. That's the standard. If you love one another as I have loved you, which is a sacrificing love, a love that died for us, a, a, a love that took the blame for us, if we had that type of love, 
then people would know we are his disciples. You know, um, what, what got me interested in this chapter right now is I, I, I did just start working here a, a few months ago, and I'm the administrative uh, pastor. And, and, I, and I've had other jobs um, before, and, but this one was different. And I, I did feel overwhelmed. I, I did. I felt overwhelmed with the different things I had to do and I wasn't familiar with, and it was, it was a little bit challenging. And I, and I remember being back there during, during uh, worship on a Sunday morning and just, like, crying out and just like, man, this is, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And a still small voice came to me, and I know it was God, don't worry about all that, the details. All I want you to do is to love and to serve. Love and to serve. And you know what? Yeah, I, I can, I think I can love, okay? <laughs> uh, but it's easier than thinking about all the mechanics of the administrative stuff. Love and serve. Love and serve. And that's how I started with this chapter this, you know what, I want to read this again. I want to read what it said about love and serve and, and how Jesus taught them. But as I went through it again, I see that the key points that I got out of this is that Jesus always loves. Key point number one, regardless of what he knows about the person, he loves always. Key point number two is that Jesus' love goes into action. He was humble and selfless service, and he, he got up and he washed their feet. Key point number three is that Jesus loves to the end. It's not like wishy-washy. It's not a, a feeling. It's a commitment. Key point number four, which is the tough one, is that Jesus gives us a higher standard to go by much higher than love your neighbor as yourself. No, you love people as I have loved you. How did he love us? He died for us, took the blame for us. And what's the result of this type of love? All, not some, all. All will know that you are my disciple if you have love one for another. Let, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these few verses and just a glimpse into your private conversation you had with your disciples. We thank you, Father, that your love is never-ending. You love always. You, you go into action with your love. 
And I, even now, Father, I ask for myself, I ask for those that are here, that you would give us the ability to love like you love, to be humble enough to work as a servant and loving enough to do all the things that maybe other people don't want to do. Lord, we can do nothing without you, but with you we can do all things. As we read, Lord, you humbled yourself even to the point of death. We thank you for that. We, we read that, that you didn't come to be serve, served, but you came to serve, and we thank you for that. We pray now, Father, just with the power of your Holy Spirit, you would anoint each one of us afresh to help us to live up to your standards. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.